0: You're listening to the Sunday Service at the International Evangelical Church in Finland. For more audio and visual content, visit our website at church.fi. After six days, and that will be important because something happened before that we will look into, so it's connected to what happened before that. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, so to be alone, just the four of them, nobody else. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters or three you know tents, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, or my beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said don't be afraid and when they looked up they saw no one except Jesus and as they were coming down the mountain Jesus instructed them don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of man has been raised from the dead now let's maybe stop here Lord we ask you to speak to us through your word through this unique event. Lord, allow us to look back at this, this moment when we've not been present like Peter, John, and James were, but still with the same understanding, the same marvel, that Peter, even towards the end of his life, still feels and recalls as he remembers this event, this incident, this, this unique, uniquely, special encounter that they had on this mountain. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you make to us relevant what you want us to hear? Each and every one. This we pray in your name. Amen. I thought simply to talk about lessons from the mountaintop. What can we learn from this really, really, really unique, unique event, unique encounter. But before we go there, I somehow felt very, very sorry for these three disciples, and that's why I want to ask you one question first. And you don't have to turn to your neighbor as they usually do, but just think for yourself. um, Who is or was the highest ranking, most famous, most important, most influential person that you've ever met in person? Think for a moment, is there, what is the most important person you've ever met in person? Maybe you've even talked with them, maybe you got a signature, autograph, Um, maybe it was a sports personality, maybe a politician, maybe a famous Christian leader, or maybe in, in in your work field, work environment, who would that have been? And what would, you, what would you have been telling the next week to all of your friends that you met that person, right? I don't know, do you remember this chap? I was Chancellor of Germany for many years, four decades, no, four, four terms, 16 years. I actually haven't met him, but I used to tell people back then that I had a chance to meet him. I got an invitation to a very exclusive meeting with. 40 people and I could have been going there and Helmut Kohl was speaking and even invited everyone else for a meal after that. I was trying to work out why I didn't go. I think it was our church small group that was meeting on that evening which is why I didn't go to meet Helmut Kohl. But I could have met him. You know I'm telling you even though I haven't met him and that's what we typically would do We meet someone important, and then we tell everyone that we've met that person. And I'm so, so sorry for for Peter, James, and John. They go up on the mountain, and they have this moment. They see not only Jesus, like nobody else has been seeing him. They see Moses and Elijah, the two most important people, man of God, in the entire history of God and his people. And then Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone. You're not allowed to talk to anyone about it. You're not allowed to tell anyone what you've seen on this mountain until after his resurrection, which they didn't really know what it, what it meant. But it is a very, very unique, as I said, unique event, unique encounter that is happening there. It's only Jesus and, and three of his disciples, his closest circle. Um, Luke tells us that they were actually going there to pray, and that's probably what, what they've been doing for a while. Um, these are two mountains, actually. I found this, this image in the front. This is Mount Tabor. This is where traditionally people have been thinking that this event must have been taking place. Uh, there's a monastery or a church on that mountain, although it's much more likely that it would have been the mountain in the back, which is Mount Hermon, the highest mountain in Israel, which is much closer to where Jesus had been six days before, and there's a very, very strong link between these two events, but it doesn't matter. One of these two, most likely, it has been, if another one, it doesn't matter. But Jesus is taking his three disciples up there and then they're not allowed to talk about it. And I really, I, I really felt sorry for them. Uh, we have three kids. Uh, my youngest is a daughter and she has um, the least developed tendency to keep secrets to herself. So she would be telling me things, Steady. I'm not going to tell you that I prepared this present for you that last four weeks in school and I used these tools to make it, but I'm not telling you. But I think they were a bit better. But anyway, what do we learn from it? Well, let's, let's again look at it. Why is it so unique? What is happening here? And actually, I, I found out that in IEC, I never spoke about this passage. And that is why, and that's because in the Finnish church calendar, this passage usually is talked about in the summer when I'm on holiday and most of you are on holiday. But then there's other churches who make sure that in the weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, before the season of Lent, some of you know that from your church backgrounds, that is the passage that is looked at. And that makes actually a lot of sense. Because uh, just before that, in Matthew, it would be Matthew 16, you can read it, Jesus has been for the first time speaking, talking to his disciples about the purpose of his coming, which is to give up his life. He's talking about having to suffer, suffer about having to die. It's the first time that he's talking to them about it. And, and Peter, who just before that has been the first one who kind of got a glimpse, an idea who Jesus is, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you think I am? And then it was only Peter who said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, one of Peter's best moments, after Jesus talked, told the first time his disciples that he has to die, Peter takes him to the side and says, Lord, this is a heap of rubbish. This is complete nonsense. You're not going to do this. This is not going to happen. And Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. So it is the moment when Jesus talks, starts to talk about his purpose, his suffering, his death. And he's also making the point just before that passage that anybody who comes after, who follows Jesus, has to take up their cross. But even the closest followers of Jesus, his best friends, they resist, they reject, they oppose this calling. They don't like it. They refuse to be part of it. They don't want to follow Jesus to the cross. They don't want to accept that this could be Jesus's mission. And the next thing that happens is that Jesus takes those three that are closest to him, most important to him, onto that mountain, and there they witness who Jesus is. They get a glimpse, an idea of his majesty. But then Luke again tells us, not Matthew, but Luke tells us that Elijah and Moses actually talk with Jesus about Jesus his death. Luke uses a very interesting word. Luke says they were talking with Jesus about his exodus in Jerusalem. Exodus, if you remember maybe Moses, the Old Testament, Moses leading the people through the Red Sea into freedom and Luke said this is what they talked with Jesus about, about his exodus. Him being the one who is laying down his life so that everybody else would be free. And if you think about it, these two events The transfiguration, as it is called, and the cross, the two contrasts. You know, there is um, here on this mountain Jesus in glory, and then on Calvary, we have Jesus in shame. Here, Jesus' clothes are shining white. There, Jesus is ripped, and his clothes are taken from him, and soldiers are Playing and gambling for the cloth. Um, here it is Jesus with Moses and Elijah standing next to him, testifying to him. There it is Jesus between two murderers, rebels, on a cross, criminals. Um, here it is a bright cloud enveloping them, overshadowing them. There is darkness. The moment. Jesus dies. Here it is Peter who says, this is wonderful, and on the cross it's Jesus who's crying because he had betrayed Jesus three times. Here it's the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. There on the cross it's a Roman soldier under the cross, a pagan, who says this was the son of God. These are utter contrasts. But then Jesus is the one who actually connects both of them, and that's the other thing that we see. Happening here, and we're not going into all of that. So I'm just just mentioning it. Um, Peter and James and John, they are living. And Moses and Elijah, they have long time ago passed away. But in Jesus, the living and the dead are united. The old covenant and the new covenant in Jesus, it is it is one. The glory of the transfiguration and the shame of the cross in Jesus. They are united. In Jesus, the age to come is already here. This is what the disciples see. And Jesus is the only one who has the final word. In him alone, the Father is well pleased. So there's this contrast, but then at the same time, Jesus is bringing everything together. It's an absolutely unique and remarkable event that is happening there. It's almost the entire gospel in one way or another is running through this event. But there's three lessons we can take away from it. The first one is this, uh, mountaintops prepare for valleys. Mountaintops prepare for valleys. What do I mean by that? Um, You know, we sometimes speak of mountaintop experiences. Many of you would understand what that means. You know, you have a great experience, you have a good experience, something encouraging that you could compare to that feeling if you've, I don't know, somebody of you climbing on a high mountain when you know, you've made the hike, I don't know how, how high the highest mountain is that you climbed, maybe some hundred, maybe some thousand meters, but when you're up there it's so amazing, you, you have the view, you have that, that oversight and you've made it. And, and spiritually speaking, these are moments when um, I always would say you feel close to God, but actually God is always close, but where your eyes are opened, you have an encounter where you realize how close good God is, how good God is, how how deep his love is. We rightly so, we, we, grave, we, we ask for these experiences. They are important. But often we might want these experiences just for ourselves. I remember once, um, when Many, many years ago, there was a person from time to time was coming to the service, maybe once in two months, and, and then we just struck up a conversation, and then I've been uh, asking, so, you know, you're coming sometimes to the service, um, how do you like it? Um, yeah, you know, it's okay. Um, but then I asked, you know, are you working, or, you know, why are you not coming more often? And then that person said, well, um, I really like to get ecstatic experiences, and I'm not getting them so regularly in, when I come to your church. So I, I go wherever I get the best experience. And, and then I've been asking, but you know, so where do you go that you get these experiences? And then it turned out that in many places that person has been going, there were not enough of these experiences, so that person was going from place to place looking for, graining for mountaintop experiences just because they are so nice. But the interesting thing is what seems to make this encounter, this event necessary is that, Jesus himself was challenged in his ministry. So he himself needed that strengthening and that confirmation. Moses and Elijah told him, you are exactly on the right track. That's just the words you spoke to the disciples when they rejected you and they opposed you, these were the right words. This is exactly your calling. God, the father is saying, listen to my son. He's my son. He knows what he's doing. He's doing exactly the right thing. So Jesus was strengthened to go down into the valley. Because that is what happens after this beautiful, wonderful, unique event. They walk down into the valley. And some of you know that the moment they come to the valley, there is a son who is possessed. Uh, The disciples were not able to drive out that spirit. So Jesus heals that person. So Jesus, from the mountaintop, comes right, uh, walks right into the valley of um, another difficult situation, confrontation with evil, but eventually to the cross. And that is true for our spiritual lives as well. That even you could take the entire Bible. So many times when people have remarkable encounters with God, they are prepared for a really, really difficult task. And that does not at all mean that, you know, we shouldn't again be asking for God to draw us close to Him, for the Spirit to reveal to us His closeness, for Him to speak to us through His Word. But don't make the mistake and think, God is just in the business of giving you nice, goosebump experiences. When He's speaking to us, it is usually to equip us to be His good news, to be His messengers who walk from an encounter with Him, from a word from Him, into a world that needs him, that has a lot of darkness and often into challenging situations. So that's the first the first um, lesson we take away from that. It. It's been true for Jesus. It will be true for us as well. And that is why we should be praying for encounters and revelations so that we would be equipped to live out the calling that God has given us. But then... The, the second lesson we can take away from it, Jesus is the key. He is the answer to everything. He is the, the central figure. It's, it's all about him. It's all about him. If you take Jesus out of the equation, nothing makes sense. He makes sense to everything. Jesus makes sense to, to the Bible, to all the New Testament. There's Moses and Elijah. Um, Moses stands for the law, and Elijah stands for the prophets. The entire scriptures of the people of God, the entire Old Testament. Jesus said to the disciples earlier, I have been not coming here to abolish the law of the prophets. No, I'm, I've been coming to fulfill them. And Jesus is the key. Jesus makes sense of everything. Um, you can read the Bible and you find interesting stories, interesting historical facts. You can analyze it from a uh, religious perspective. But without Jesus, nothing will make like, ever sense. But Jesus is the key. He opens up the scriptures. He is the one everything is about. Um, Jesus is also the key to suffering. As I said, Luke gives us that detail. And I think later on, uh, maybe after the resurrection, when, when the disciples, when Peter, you know, James and John were finally allowed to speak about this, then, you know, they've been asking, so what did, what did they actually talk with you? And, and Jesus would have been telling them what this conversation was about. So Luke was the one who recorded it. They talked with Jesus about his death. And that means Jesus makes, gives meaning or makes sense of suffering. That's one of the questions we always talk about in, in the alpha course. Why is there evil? Why is there suffering? And Jesus doesn't give us a nicely boxed answer that we can throw uh, to everybody who's raising the question. Jesus himself is coming to suffer. And that means he is the answer. He is the one, the only one, who can make sense because he goes into the darkness. Just the other day, as I said, um, I got a good message from a message from a good friend who lost a cousin because the cousin was murdered. Where do you go with that? Jesus is the one who is not giving explanations, but he goes into the deepest darkness. This is what Moses and Elijah talked with him about. So Jesus is the key. Jesus is the only one who reveals to us who the Father is. The Father is saying, God the Father, to those three, this is my son. He is the one I love. Listen to him. I'm well pleased with him. Through Jesus we know the Father because Jesus is the one who is loved by the Father. And Jesus is therefore also the key to who we are in him. When the Father says, this is my son, my beloved, how many times does the New Testament tell us that we are in Christ, that he lives in us? And that means that is the key to who we are. When, when God the Father looks at you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you belong to him, he looks at you and he says, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter, I'm well pleased with you. These words that Jesus hears, the Father's uttering over us. Without Jesus, we wouldn't know that. Jesus is the, the the key to our life. How many times we ask these questions? What is my purpose? Why am I here? How can I make sense of my life? Jesus is the answer. Listen to him. Listen to him, the Father says. Listen to him. Listen to him. Ask him, but listen to him. He has the answers nobody else has. Jesus is the key for our fears, for our difficulties. You know, when the disciples hear this voice, they they are terrified. But Jesus is doing what we see him doing on every page of the New Testament, every page of the Gospels. He's walking up to them. He's reaching out to them. He's telling them, get up. Don't be afraid. Where do we go with our fears? We go to Jesus. He is the one who can take our fears away. Um, And it's him and him alone. I, I love this one sentence. When they looked up, They saw no one, they don't see Elijah anymore, they don't see Moses anymore, they don't see anyone except Jesus alone. Jesus alone is that answer. Again, that is why we do Alpha. It's not a program, it's not a course, it's not a series of lectures. It is a place where we want people to come and we pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes so that they see Jesus and Him alone. Because we don't need to see anyone else we often think we need to see many other answers but jesus is the answer he is the key if we see him that's enough but then i didn't know how to phrase it this there's, there's a third lesson and i think that's the maybe the most challenging one even more challenging in a way than the one that from the mountaintop you always have to go into the valley and it is that god's glory is his presence uh, I did, again, I, I, you, if you tell me this doesn't make any sense, I fully agree with you. But I didn't come with anything. Didn't come up with anything better. It, you know, the Bible talks so much about God's glory, but what does this word actually mean? What, what is God's glory? What what is it? You're, in so many songs we have it, um, and you know, I could go to my own language, or we could go to any other language. We could say what it means in Finnish. But what does it actually mean? Gloria, kunia. Who? What does it mean? What what does it mean? And this event seems to suggest that glory actually means the manifestation of God's presence. The manifestation of who God is in His presence. That is what, what glory means. And in a way you could say that transfiguration is actually all about transparency Uh, The disciples, they get a glimpse, they get an idea, they see Jesus as he is. They see his glory revealed before their eyes. That is what glory means, to see that. And by the way, that is our destiny, that's your and my destiny as well. This is what our future looks like. Actually, this is what we already now share, but we don't see it, just as the disciples never saw this except Peter, James, and John for a short moment. But you know then, Peter, I love him, there's many, many people throughout history who have doubted that something like this could happen, but actually Peter's answer or reaction and that it is recorded just tells me that this must have really happened. Because how, el- how else would you come up with such a silly idea that is even recorded? Um, Peter wants to put tents up on Mount Hermon or Tabo or wherever it was, three shelters. In a way, Peter wants to prolong the moment. And in a way, I fully understand it. You know, if, I don't know, did, did you have in your faith life moments where, you know, things made more sense than ever before, where you had a sense of God's presence, where maybe God was speaking to you in a very powerful way through His Word, maybe through someone else, and, and you remember that. It was it was a moment that, or maybe were many moments, that you always remember. And of course, we would like these moments to last forever. I remember many, many, many years ago, I've been asking this question, one of the Uh, um, uh, an old Christian that I very much uh, um, appreciated and and always valued. And I was telling him actually a bit like Peter, I said, you know, look, sometimes it is so amazing how God is speaking almost audibly through his word. Or it is so amazing when you have somebody else speaking into your life and you realize the Holy Spirit has been giving them a revelation that that changes the trajectory of your life or that gives you so much encouragement when you have needed it. And it's so amazing. Why is that not happening all the time? And so I had the same question like Peter. That old Christian back then told me that because we're not able to sustain it. Maybe he was right. But anyway, Peter wants to do that. He wants to prolong it. He gets an idea of what is happening. He sees the cloud. Maybe Peter's remembering, you know, for example, that passage that he would know very well that Sultan read to us. Exodus 24, Moses going up on the mountain. Again, there's a cloud signifying the glory of the Lord that settled on a mountain. God speaking out of that cloud like he is doing here. So they would have immediately grasped the significance. They might have recalled the end of the book of Exodus where it said that, where, that Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud. The presence of God had settled. The glory of God filled the tent. Nobody could enter it. They've been recalling that. And now they are in the same situation. They're in the clouds. They hear the voice of God. And of course, they would, they would want this to go on forever. But then they hear this voice that what they need to do is to listen and follow Jesus. And then soon after that as I've been saying before, and as we've been reading, they have to walk down the mountain. And the question is, and I would love to ask Peter, James and John, like, what did you think when you were going down the mountain? What, Peter, what did you, Peter, were you actually disappointed that it went over so quickly? Or did you understand in that moment already that the Jesus that you're walking down the mountain with into a really bad situation, is that same Jesus that you saw in his glory. Because the glory didn't, desert, didn't leave Jesus. It was just that the disciples were able to witness it. And I think that that is the challenge for us, that God's glory is where he's present. And because he is present everywhere, we don't have to grave, to some extent, these mountaintop experiences. We, we don't have to Um, even, you know, feel jealous at these three guys that they were able to see that, and we not. We are here 2,000 years later and we read about it, but we don't have actually at all to feel sorry because Jesus tells us that he is with us all the days until the end of the age, wherever we are. And that glory that these three have seen is present among us. This glory is actually even dwelling in us. I remember one of the most powerful testimonies that I've heard in relation with the Alpha Course was from, some of you know the story, uh, a criminal in the UK who ended up in the highest security prison in the UK because of the many offenses that he committed uh, in an individual cell. When the cell was opened, there had to be eight uh, guards in a riot gear, otherwise nobody would be allowed to approach him. So he was in in hell, lived a life of crime and evil, but then they had an alpha course running in the prison. And he went along because they had free biscuits. And in his own words, he described that to his horror, um, it was not only a church thing, which he otherwise would have hated, but it was two retired nuns who were running that alpha course. And he was saying, you know, two retired nuns, think how old nuns are. And these nuns were retired. So how old do you have to be to be retired? What do you have to do as a nun to be retired? And they were not young. They were not, you know, this is what he would have preferred. So two old nuns. But he described that these two old retired nuns were radiating such a light that he just couldn't resist them. And it brought him one evening to his knees and he invited Jesus into his life. That is that secret, that Jesus' glory, this glory that these three have witnessed, that we read about in this wonderful, remarkable, unique event, this same glory is what Jesus is present. And, and that, is a, that is a challenge for me and for you, <laughs> to think that, okay, I'm carrying Jesus around with me. He is the maker of everything. He has created everything. I don't have everything normal. Everything is created by him. So he is everywhere. And it's this glory. It is that glory that made Peter, John, and James get carried away. It is this glory that is there where Jesus is. It is here. Yeah, there it is. So it doesn't matter which of these two mountains. It doesn't matter where you had your mountaintop experiences. Um, and it's not wrong to have them, and it is great to ask for more of that. It's, Paul tells us, seek the gifts of the Spirit, seek the higher gifts, seek prophecies. All of these things are good. But at the end of the day, it's about going down into the valley, remembering that Jesus is the key, and remembering that His presence, His glory is where He is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for... This book, we thank you for this recorded testimony that came to us that allows us to witness through these words, through the Bible, what, what Peter, James, and John were witnessing that day when you took them on, up onto this mountaintop. And Lord, we, we thank you that this is who you are, that you give us a picture, an image of who you are in your glory. And... Lord, you remind us that you didn't stay on the mountain and your glory is not on that mountain. Your glory is where you are and you're walking down into the suffering, down into the valley. Lord, you're walking with us next week. You walk with us out of this building. You walk back into our families, back into our workplaces, back into our messy situations, back into maybe our boring situations that haven't been changing. You walk back into the fears us or of ours and Lord we we ask you and we desire to learn to, to count on your glory, count on your presence being where we are because you are there teach us what it means to, to take our cross up and follow you follow you into the suffering into the darkness, not alone but with your presence, with your glory leading us, guiding us all the way. Lord, we, we thank you that yeah, we can follow you, that we are not leading and walking and working this life ourselves, that we follow you. We want to listen to you. This week we'll you, Would you would you allow us and help us to listen to you every day, to listen to you in every moment. This is what the Father tells us, to listen to you. Lord, we want to listen to you as you speak, when you speak. And help us, through your spirit, to listen. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the Sunday Service at the International Evangelical Church in Finland. For more audio and visual content, visit our website at church.fi. Life, life is